Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me is a man who needs no introduction, but I'm paid to do it, so I'll do it anyway. Senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. All right. You know, I should have put that in context. Yeah, yeah. It turns out that without context, it can be a really confusing thing for me. Also for computers. Because uh, you know, today we wanted to talk a little bit about the future of search on the internet. And the reason why we're bringing this up is the week that we're recording this podcast, uh, the, the today's date as we record is May 18th. Mm-hmm. Now, this past week, there was some news that came out uh, from Microsoft and from Google about some additions to their, their search products. So Bing and Google, obviously, those would be the two. Um, and, uh, and in both cases, there's some information about uh, kind of a new approach to search, and not not even that new. It's just that there's sort of a new way of presenting the information, mm-hmm. but it's sort of a kind of a trend that we're seeing uh, building towards something we call semantic search, which is sort of an intelligent search that is pulling information that's relevant to your search query. Uh, from multiple sources and putting it together in a way that's understandable for you so that you don't have to actually do all that work yourself where you, you know, when you typically do a search, you get all the different results and then you have to go and visit the different uh, sites, find out if the information you need is there. Maybe it has 60% of the info you need, but not everything. So you have to go to another link and see if maybe that has 20% of the 40% that was missing. And so you're piecing it all together bit by bit and you're having to make Incredible notes. And if this is really data intensive, you might even have an enormous spreadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a lot of work. Well, the idea behind semantic search is a lot of that work gets done for you and you look for something very specific and you'll get very specific results back, even if those results are pulled from multiple sources. So in other words, you don't have to do all that work. Uh, there's still a lot of work that has to be done though. So we're going to cover all of that. And I think the best way to start is we talk about how typically a a search is done in the traditional it's kind of weird to say traditional when you're talking about the internet but traditional internet search style yeah yeah well 
you think about it, there there have been search engines out since uh, probably around um, the early the early nineties. Yeah, really, and that that was when we have been talking about uh, the public using the internet as uh, a, a tool for information, a tool for communications and entertainment, really. Right. Um, and these the earliest search engines relied on uh, some some pretty brute force technology. Uh, one of which was was either a, a a script called a spider that right. would go crawling the web. Yes, you, it would, you get it. It would. It would we're go, going here. Yeah, it would go link to link. It would actually follow links and index pages. It would it would record the content on pages. Now it did not understand that content. No, uh, uh-uh, uh. No. But just merely said, "All right, these are the words that appear on this particular web page." Yeah, and so that gets indexed, and then it would go to the next link and it would index that one. And you know, there's when I'm saying one spider, clearly there are countless spiders crawling the web and right. there still are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of the the search engines, the ones that that we use today still use that technology, but they're not necessarily as reliant on that technology alone as yeah. they used to be. There's more sophistication on the back end. Yeah. And then you have Yahoo, which used a very uh at, at its genesis used a very um I don't know. Would you say a intelligent way of going about indexing web content? Out of all the web indexes in the world, Yahoo's was the most human. Yes, exactly. They had people. It's a little Star Trek Two reference. Going, going, going through and recording what was on web pages. Yes. Um, which is again, you think about it. That's an excellent way to do it. It's also very time consuming and very expensive. Incredibly because time you have consuming. To, pay people to do this. Right. It turns out people will not do this for free out of the kindness of their heart. And with uh, quadrillions of web pages out there these days. Yeah. yeah. Back in the early days of the web, even then, indexing everything yeah. was a was a huge effort. All right. It was, I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not like there were, oh man, I remember back when there were only three web pages. Yeah. It was so easy. I was like, how do I find one? Oh, right. I need to go to this one of the three. Now, it was always a little more complex than that. Right. And so by the time that, uh, you know, the, the, we get to Yahoo coming around, uh, it's, it's a big job going through and checking all these pages. And of course it gets even more complex today when we have dynamic web pages. Mm-hmm. Because back in the old days, when you would create a web page, it was a very static document. Yeah, it was written in in hypertext markup language, uh, yep. HTML, and for the most part, there you know there weren't scripts in there, there weren't uh, uh, server generated pages like you'd find with something like uh, PHP, for example. And people just didn't make that many changes. Yeah, like you might you might make a reference page for something. Sure. So it's almost like an article in a magazine or a page out of a book. Mm-hmm. It did not change very much once you put it up there. Now, uh, of course, you would always have the 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 required under construction gif in the bottom. Oh, right. To let people know that, hey, there's still more stuff I'm going to add to this, so you should come back again. Yes, usually accompanied by a uh, MIDI file. Also, there was very – I can't believe we've never mentioned this when we talk about the stereotypical stuff you would find on the old web pages. Oh, yeah? There'd be a, a visitor counter. Oh, I forgot about the visitor the little, counters. It, it would look like an old analog digit counter, and it would go up each time someone would visit it. And there were people who were really proud of their visitor numbers. Oh, sure. And yeah. other people who were very upset that it would be like hovering around seven, and you know, six of those are your mom. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Those are my mom. Well, not, no, I, I, the, it's the, oh, oh, the oh. universal mom. Sorry, sorry, it, it took me a minute. <laughs> but but yeah, so so the typical way is that these spiders crawl out across the web. They index the pages. That index is built into the search engine, so that when you type in a query, the search engine compares your query against the database, and it starts to try and pull the pages that appear to correspond with whatever your query is. Mm-hmm. Now, in the early days, this was very primitive, where essentially you were just getting uh, pages ranked sometimes just by the number of times a, a certain term might appear on the page. Oh, yeah. They they used to uh, – the early days of search engine optimization, um, which is basically, uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with the term, uh, a way to get more people to visit your website. So they would mention certain words over and over again. Yeah. 
Um, so and so law firm, where our lawyers and attorneys are blah blah blah. And if you have a legal case that needs lawyers and attorneys at this law firm, this law firm can provide you lawyers and attorneys for your lawsuit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And then you would even find on some pages there would be like at the very bottom of the page all this tiny, 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 tiny text, sometimes in the same color as the background of the page, so you'd have to highlight it to see it. Yeah. And all it would be would be a list of unrelated terms. And it was all about trying to game the system mm-hmm. so that the web search engine would point you at that uh, page because the web search engine wasn't smart. It didn't know that that page wasn't really about kayaking, right. right? You type in kayaking and this page pops up and you go there and instead of it being a page about kayaking, it's something else like a car dealership. And you're like, what the heck is this? Why is this on kayaking? Right. Now, I guess I could fit a kayak on some of these cars, but other than that, I don't really get it. And it turns out they were trying to just drive more traffic, which most of us, you know, you sit there and you think about it for two seconds, you think that's a stupid way to drive traffic. Because if, if you go to a page that does not have the stuff you're looking for, you are not going to stay on that page for very long. No. But in the early days of the web, people would do practically anything to try and get you to their website. Yeah, and rename photos so that they would work on search terms. Yep. You know, the kayak page, the, the kayak photo one. Also, uh, my favorite, which is, you, you go to bookmark a page and you'd realize that the page was titled something about a paragraph long with just search terms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which just drove me crazy. So at any rate, search engines have become much more sophisticated since then where they are able to weed out a lot of that stuff. Google, mm-hmm. for instance, is very famous. They have their yeah. algorithm. And the Google algorithm uh, – Page rank. Yeah, the page rank is a lot different than just trying to find a page that has a certain term a certain number of times. Mm-hmm. In that case, page rank also takes into account how many other sites link into that page. Mm-hmm. So if a lot of sites link into that page, the Google algorithm draws the conclusion that that page must be good because a lot of people are linking to it. Mm-hmm. And if they if there are a lot of links that point to that page, then by Google's definition, that one must be more relevant than one that has fewer links into it. Now, mm-hmm. we all know that doesn't necessarily correspond with reality, but in general, it's a fairly safe approach. And another thing it does is uh, it recognizes attempts to try to game the system like we were just talking about. If you do the lawyers and attorneys law firm thing that Jonathan was just talking about, it will go, wait a minute, you're obviously overlinking, you know, you're over quoting these terms and I'm going to rank you lower because yeah. you are obviously uh, spamming essentially. Right, right. You know, you'll you're spamming you'll the, end up uh, being maybe on page results. 10 or 11 of the yeah. search results and most people don't go f- much further beyond the first page. Yeah. Uh, some people do the first two or three. I, Because I do research for a living, I will often dig fairly deep down to try and find, especially if I find something that looks really uh, like a remarkable fact. I'm like, I kind of want to make sure I get some confirmation that this, in fact, is true. And I want to see if I can find anything that does not reference the same source material mm-hmm. as whatever I found. Right. Because, you know, you want to, you want confirmation, but you don't want to just like look at eight, uh, articles that are all based upon the same, uh, news press release, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're just like, well, all this is regurgitation of the same facts. I mm-hmm. need something. I need an independent confirmation that this is true. So, yeah, there's, you know, but for most people, they don't tend to go beyond the first couple of pages. Um, but this is all still ultimately kind of a dumb search. Yeah. And go ahead. I'm well, sorry. Well, I was just going to say that uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, when they uh, launched Google, they revolutionized search because it made it so much more effective than it had been in the past. And it mm-hmm. really weeded out a lot of the people who couldn't do something as sophisticated, uh, search uh, the web as sophisticated as you know in such a sophisticated way as Google was doing it. Now, of course, uh, Microsoft came out with Bing, which uh, if you pull out your fanboyism, you know, and put it aside for a minute from whichever of the major tech companies you prefer, I think Bing and Google both do an excellent job of searching the web. They do. You'll come up with different results when you go uh, between, between the, the two. two. Yeah, but they'll both um, they'll both come up with excellent results, which is why I like. Some search engines like Dogpile, which aggregate uh, search results from these different search engines. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean they these guys are obviously the heavy hitters because they're very good at coming up with results that people find effective. Right. And that's why they're the the big the big guys in the market, if you will. Now, but they're not stopping and resting on their laurels either. Right. 
Well, we've pretty much covered what the the present day search uh, 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 landscape is. Now let's yeah. talk a little bit about the future. And some of this is rolling out presently. In fact, by the time this podcast goes live, many of you may have access to the tools we're going to be talking about. Because uh, Google, for example, is rolling out what they call the knowledge graph, mm-hmm. and Bing has this nose, as in K N O W S approach, where it has three different columns called uh, search nose, Bing nose, and friends know. And um, uh, in both cases, they're trying to incorporate a little bit of what we think of as a semantic search. Now, semantic search is where the search engine has, at some level, a comprehension of what it is you're trying to find. And that's really important because, as it turns out, people like to name stuff similar things, even if those two things are themselves not similar. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a very easy example. Let's say you're doing a web search on sun, S-U-N. Mm-hmm. Well, that could mean the sun, as mm-hmm. in the star that's at the center of our solar system, or it could mean something like sun microsystems. Right. And without any other context, the web, the, the search engine doesn't know what you want. So it's going to start pulling up stuff that ranks really high to, based upon whatever algorithm they use, whether it's Google's or Microsoft's or whatever search engine. Mm-hmm. And it's going to present those to you on a page. And, and it may be mixed up. It may be that you've got, you know, three or four astronomical links and three or four technology links. And, that's fine, but let's say that, you know, you have a semantic search where it can tell what it is that you want and every single link on that page is relevant. Well, that would be, you know, preferable. And there, are, it's tricky to do that, especially if all you're doing is a one word search term because, mm-hmm. you know, there's not, a, there's no context there. If you added more context in your search, then that would narrow down the results. So the more terms you put in, in general, the more terms you put within a search bar, the narrower the results will be uh, when they're presented to you. But you have to start trying to think the way, you know, whoever's generating the information that you need, you have to kind of think in their way in order to get those search results narrowed properly. Mm -hmm. Because if you put something that's outside of that realm and it makes sense to you, but it didn't necessarily make sense to them, you might not get a result at all. Mm -hmm. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I think it's important to note, too, that uh, we're not what we're talking about now is not necessarily the semantic web. No, Um, the semantic web is uh, and I just wanted we're not going to get into that because that could be a series of podcasts. Yes. Um, But uh, basically, the idea is similar. What uh, what we're talking about is context. Um, And uh, in the semantic web, you're trying to create context between two entities, this person doing uh, the web browsing and the stuff on the other end. Um, and that requires use of a markup language called RDF, uh, Resource Description Framework. And uh, it, it, there's actually a very excellent article on HowStuffWorks.com written by uh, PopStuff host, co-host, uh, Tracy Wilson yep, um, and our lovely site director. Yes. Um, and uh, if you want to learn more about that, then I would recommend that you go read that article. But, um, you know, at least until we talk about it. But um, it's not – and Google is careful to make this note too, that they're not – this isn't actually the semantic web. But they are trying to create context by referencing what they know about you and the stuff that is out there on the web. So it is It is similar in that sense. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of a step toward the semantic web. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it as semantic search simply because – Ultimately, it is looking for bits of information about whatever the subject is that you are interested in mm-hmm. and presenting it to you in a unified way where you, so that you do not have to do all the searching yourself. And we'll actually get into why that might be a problem too, because there's, there's some very legitimate concerns, not from a technology standpoint, but a business standpoint about this approach. But let's say that a, a, a computer, for example, doesn't know the difference between any two categories of anything mm-hmm. without you telling it what that is. Well, so of course. An, so let's say that you know you've got a picture, let's say that you've got a computer that can scan things and it knows like you could type in what that thing is. Mm-hmm. All right? So you scan a picture of a puppy dog and you scan a picture of a locomotive. Okay. And you say this is a puppy dog, that's a locomotive. Well, the computer doesn't know that a locomotive and a puppy dog don't belong to the same category, mm-hmm. like other than stuff. <laughs> like it doesn't know that a puppy dog is an animal. It doesn't know a locomotive is a uh, technology. It's uh, it's a vehicle. Uh, it it cannot make that determination until you tell it. Mm-hmm. And then to get more complicated, let's say William Shakespeare. You say William Shakespeare is a playwright or was a playwright. He's not currently working. Uh, William Shakespeare was a playwright. William Shakespeare was a man. Well, you also have to let the computer know that not all all people who fit into the man category also fit into the playwright category, right? Nor are all the playwrights men. Like, the computer does not know that automatically. Sorry, I was – something smelled like bacon. <laughs> the point being that that it's a very small Shakespeare. Joke. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm a Marlovian myself. Actually, that's not true. I'm I'm a, I'm a Stratfordian. But the uh, the entire the entire relationship of all these different categories are things mm-hmm. that a computer does not natively understand. Right. So you have to actually build this. We call these things. You know, we call them taxonomies. We call them ontologies. Yeah. It's all about creating these structures so that the computer can relate bits of information to one another in a way that makes sense. Because otherwise, when you would do a search term, even using one of these new products, you would just get a a, a, a big batch of data that is not organized in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. You know, But this way, when you actually – categorize stuff and you build out these these structures within the computer system so that computers can understand all right we need to put this bit of information here and this bit of information here and this is how it's all going to be organized then it it means something to you when it comes back so Mm -hmm. you might have born on died on you know famous works that kind of stuff 
And in fact, both Bing and Google are working on – actually, they're rolling out products that incorporate this sort of uh, result in searches. Mm-hmm. So with Google, it's called the Google Knowledge Graph, and it's a um, an idea where if you were to do a search on any particular topic, uh, you would have the main search results underneath the search bar just as, as per normal. But on the right, there would be a little uh, – uh, uh, window that could open up that would have information about whatever the subject of your search was. And it's possible that the information you want is, is contained within that window. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a search on someone famous, Leonardo da Vinci, mm-hmm. uh, you could end up, which is actually an example in one of the yeah. videos they show. If you do a search uh, for, for uh, the Google knowledge graph, there's a video on the, on the Google blog. Let's say you do that. that well, you might get um, famous works of art that Leonardo da Vinci painted, as well as some of his contemporaries uh, during the uh, the Renaissance. He painted his contemporaries? Uh, if they stood still long enough. He was a very busy man. Anyway, uh, you would get like little details about his life. You would see that kind of stuff. And, and maybe the answer to your question could be right there, so you don't have to go into a search result. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you wanted to know about the inventions Leonardo da Vinci made and all you're getting back is art, then it would require you to do uh, another search or to actually go to one of the, the links that pops up under the normal search results. Um, but the Google says that they have already uh, more than 500 million objects indexed for this with 3.5 billion facts about those objects and about the relationship between objects so that when you do these searches, you're going to get the most um, relevant information. And they say that the way that they're determining what is relevant versus not relevant Mm -hmm. is they're actually looking at what people are searching for. So if if 95% of the people who are searching for Leonardo da Vinci are searching for information about his works of art, that's the information that's going to pop up when you do that, just do the search without any more modifiers. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Right. You know, if the, if the majority of the people are interested in just that one aspect of him, then clearly that's what should be presented to you. And then anyone who needs more information just goes into the link just like you would on any other day. Well, Bing is doing a similar thing. <laughs> Rhyme, rhyme. Um, they have uh, either, uh, instead of instead of the two column approach, because you know Google's got the search results under the main column, and then to the right it's got the little window that pops up. Bing does three columns. Mm-hmm. The first column are the search results, so just like a normal search, and then the middle column is the contextual results, where it'll pull information about whatever it is you're searching for. So let's say you're searching for a city, okay. and you you do. Um, Oh, let's see. What would be a good one? Let's or no, I, not a city. I'm not going to go to a city. I'm going to go to a place that I visited last year that I loved because one of my uh, one of my family members ruled it for a while. Okay, Malta. Really, Malta was ruled by Strickland. Did you not know that? No, I didn't. Yes, yes. I took my. I got a picture taken in front of my distant relative, and in fact, he is part of my branch of the family. So um, they did not uh, give me really awesome seats at restaurants or anything. I was very disappointed in that. They should have at least given you a free Malta milk. I figure I should have at least had a parade. At the very least a parade. Anyway, but I enjoyed my time on Malta. Let's say you type in Malta and you want to know, you know, all the different little facts about like where is it located, you know, what what kind of climate is it? And the contextual result within Bing will give you basic information about Malta. And it might even tell you what the weather's like on that day. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. It's the and th- this is stuff that we've seen in search for a while. It's just that now it's organized in such a way that it is pulled out from the regular search results and put it in its own column so that way it's not interspersed with the 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 links to the different web pages. So mm-hmm. it makes it easier to see. And then on the third column, it's your friends know column. And that what that does is it crawls social networking sites like Facebook, Twitter. Uh, eventually, supposedly, it'll do Google Plus as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to sign in to Bing for this to work. But when you sign in and you've got linked to your accounts, it's going to search through all the people that you're connected to through those accounts and look for anyone who has posted anything about the subject you've searched for. So, for example, with Malta, if you're a friend of mine and you search for Malta, you might see that it pops up that I've got some pictures of the time when I was in Malta and some some posts about what I did while I was there and maybe about a restaurant I went to. And that would allow you to do things like touch base with me and say, hey, you know, you've been to Malta. I was thinking about going. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience and find out, you know, what should I do? 
And uh, so it's an idea of making the search more relevant. Now, this is really interesting to me because this shows a divergent future of search, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You've got the what I call the semantic approach, where it's the artificially intelligent approach, where the computer is putting together information based upon algorithms and connections between objects. Mm-hmm. And then you have the social approach, where it's pulling information from your friends and, and other people you know and uh, giving you sort of uh, the the personal approach to search. Two different ways of doing this. I'm curious to see which one's going to win out. And maybe maybe win out's the wrong phrase. I'm curious to see which one people will rely upon more frequently. And it may be that it all depends on what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also am sort of dreading this in a way. Okay. And the reason I'm dreading it is I'm worried about people doing searches for – it's lots of stuff that I post about, and then they get results about me, and then next time I log into Facebook, I've got 753 messages asking me about the restaurants I eat at, the theaters I go to, uh, tech support questions about the multiple things that I've written about for how stuff works. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could you could see that for certain people who post a lot to social networks, it could mean you get a flood of folks contacting you about stuff that you either haven't thought about in a long time or – you know, you, ha- you just you're like, well, I don't mind sharing that information. It just feels like I'm getting uh, uh, buried under requests. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I-, I talked about this with some some tech friends of mine and they all thought I was being a bit of a grouch. But I said, no, seriously, think about it. Think about all the things you do and post about. And I said, well, isn't that why you post about these things? Like you post about it in order to share the information with people. I said, sure. But in that case, it's me shooting information out to the world. It's not the world coming to me for information. That's mm-hmm. a very different thing. <laughs> it's it's you know taking the bullhorn and saying something through that as opposed to having to accept call after call after call. Mm-hmm. People don't call me. Do not call me. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. 
There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, there's also a, another thing to be concerned about for a lot of people. What's that? Um, in order to build a context between you and the other web pages out there, it has to know things about you. Yes. And some people are, shall we say, skittish about uh, providing information about themselves. They might be looking for more privacy. Understandably um, so. And this is one of those trade-offs that, that you have to make. Uh, this is incredibly convenient in a lot of ways if you think about it. But in order to do this, you have to give up information about yourself. Otherwise, the search engines can't provide that context and the uh, the relevancy that you would get with these enhanced search features. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to share this information with Bing? Do you want to sign in and let them peruse your account so that they can find out that Jonathan knows something about Malta? Or do you want to say, you know what? I don't want to share that information with you, and I will take my chances with the search results. And that's, you know, something that, that is an individual person by person thing to consider. But I think it is worthy of mention because privacy, of course, is one of those things that, uh, that is a greater concern for many people. Um, and, uh, another thing to consider is, uh, the filter bubble, mm-hmm. which is a term that, uh, Eli Pariser came up with. Um, or at least he wrote a book about it. And the idea being that, uh, the more you search, the more your search engine knows about you, the more stuff you're going to see that is, uh, you know, tailored toward your interests, which is okay in way good. But in another way, it's not because you're not seeing, uh, divergent opinions. You're not seeing opinions from people who are not like you. Right. Um, if you are say a Republican, you're going to see things that are more conservative and fewer things that are uh, more liberal. Yeah, it just becomes an echo chamber. Yeah, and and so therefore you are not exposed to opinions uh, from people who are not necessarily, you know, don't necessarily hold the same beliefs. And uh, there are a lot of people – I used politics as a, an instance because a lot of the uh, uh, the people that I've – sort of paid attention to in the political world want to know what's going on on uh, both sides of the aisle. They want to know what people who are like them think, and they want to know what the other people think, too, um, so that they can make an informed decision, uh, which I think is, you know, something to be something to be mindful of, too. Um, not that not that these these search tools are bad in any way. But it's something to consider when you're using them is that you're trading off privacy to gain this and you're also um, insulating yourself to just things that you like, which is, frankly, a very comfortable position. Uh, you know, it, it, we're staying inside our comfort zone and not and not treading very far outside it. Um, so it's it's you know, those are just a couple of the things mentioned. Also, uh, I've heard uh, critics say that they don't like. Um, the idea of, of what Google is doing because they said, well, you, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of the information up on, from these pages on Google. Right. What incentive do people have to click through to the people you're linking to? Which is where I was saying, you know, it's not a technological problem, it's a business problem. Because if your, if your business is web-based and you depend very heavily upon ad revenue, mm-hmm. then that means you depend upon people visiting your site to get information or to have an experience, whatever you're your site provides you you depend upon people coming to that site in order for that impression to be made and that impression goes toward uh, generating money through advertising yeah so that because we, we assume that if you're on the page that you're seeing the ad or the ad is somehow affecting you and that uh, that means the advertiser is getting value for the money they're spending to reach you mm-hmm. well if you never go to the site then that Impression never happens, which means that the the proprietor of that site is out of advertising money. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the advertisers aren't happy with it either because it means that their ads aren't being seen. So 
you know, you've got the advertisers who are unhappy because their ads that they're creating aren't being seen by anyone if, in fact, you can get all the information you need just through typing in some search terms into Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the proprietors, the, the sites that actually are providing that information, <laughs> their owners aren't happy either because no one's going to visit them. Mm-hmm. So then you think, well, would anyone even bother to build a website um, once you got to a, a, a a, a search that was sophisticated enough that all the information comes back upon the search. Why would you bother building a site at all? You're really all you're doing at that point is just building a database for Google. Yes, that's all it is. It's mm-hmm. not you're no longer building something for yourself. You're really just adding to Google's data storage. Mm-hmm. So that's a legitimate question. I mean, uh, now if if the information the the, inf- the way Google's presenting this, it tends to be. Not a huge amount of information. Right. It's it's stuff that's relevant to your search, and it might answer very basic questions you have about that. But if you want something more thorough than just like a birth date, a death date, and some major achievements in a in a particular per- historical person's life, then you would need to go further in. It's not like you're going to get a full biography with uh, lots of detailed information within that search. Right. Yeah. What I've what I've seen Google say is that they believe that it will whet people's appetites. Uh, it, they'll get you started, but if you really want to know more, you need to continue follow the link into the the other sites and see what else there is. Um, which you know, for some of us, um, you know, not speaking necessarily for Jonathan, although I suspect it might be the case. Uh, you know, for people who are intellectually curious, you do start wanting more. It's like, yeah. okay, well, this is great, uh, and it answers my question, but now I want to know more. Yeah, you kind of fall down the rabbit hole where you just yeah. start chasing more information, and uh, and often that'll lead to you looking at related things that had nothing to do with your initial search, but are interesting, so you want to pursue them and find out more about them, which is great. Uh, the It's just that I know a lot of uh, – I i don't know. I suspect a lot of advertisers and website uh, owners are a little leery of this. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the one of the issues. And here's another problem. Um, this one is more technological. So building out these these results, these connections between objects. Like I said, a computer does not natively understand no. relationships between any two things. Not so you have yet. To, not yet. They're working on it, but uh, that means you have to build stuff out. And I wanted to bring something else into the discussion to kind of give an example. There's another project called the Silk Project. Ah, uh, yes. Which is a I think it was 11 developers, uh, 11 Dutch developers who put this together. And the idea is that it's a, it's sort of a database management system in a way. Uh, not necessarily meant for the web, uh, meant more for like an internal system. Like let's say that Chris and I, you know, we work for how stuff works. Let's say that we build out a, um, like we're going to build out a wiki that contains all the information about our company and uh, processes within our company, uh, the procedures you're, sh- you're supposed to follow, uh, basic information within the company. The Silk project would allow you to classify the information in different ways. You tag it. You create metadata. Now, metadata is information about information. And this allows you to, to uh, classify the information in ways that the computer can on a very surface level, understand. Understand is really the wrong word, but it can work with that classification system. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I were to have uh, a, a, a whole site about dogs, then you know, dog might be one category. I might even go further up and say it's a mammal, and that means that's an animal, etc. But then I might have breeds underneath the dog, and each of those breeds would go back up to ultimately to dog, right? Well, that would help me build out these relationships between whatever it was that was in my database. Uh, so Silk, what you do is you you get this tool, you classify all the information within your system. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's lots of different numbers, lots of different like sales figures and uh, advertising figures, that kind of stuff. You would classify all that information and then whenever you needed to pull data from uh, your database, you would type in a query into the Silk Project's uh, search tool. And it would automatically uh, aggregate all that information for you and put it together in a way that makes sense and make it easy for you to generate graphs and charts, sometimes automatically. Mm-hmm. 
so that you could have a visual way of presenting that information to someone so that you could make a larger impact. Uh, and this makes a lot of sense because otherwise, again, what you have to do is you have to do searches into all of these individual documents, pull the relevant information, put it into a spreadsheet, manipulate it to the way that you need it, and then create whatever graphics that you want from that. This does it all automatically. However, the first thing you have to do is you have to tag all that information. Mm-hmm. If you're building out from scratch, it may not be a big deal. You know, you, you just, it's just part of the building process. You know, you create information and you tag it and you create a, uh, a way of tagging it that's consistent across the company. Because here's another thing. The way Chris thinks and the way I think are not perfectly aligned. Boy, howdy. And so sometimes he might tag a certain kind of information one way and I might tag it another way. Right. And that might be problematic depending upon how the computer handles tags and classifications. So that if I were to do a query and Chris were to do a query and we're doing the same query, but we've both set up our systems in different ways, even though we have the same basic information in both of our systems. Mm -hmm. So we're pulling from the same pool of data. We've just built out our system slightly differently. My query might pull up a different result than his because we use two different tagging systems. Uh, I think the Silk Project actually tries to take that into account, but uh, even so, it's a little tricky. So anyway, that's a lot of work for a person to do mm-hmm. because, again, the computer cannot determine automatically yet what category certain tags fall into or certain uh, certain terms fall into, not tags, I'm sorry. So without knowing that, that means someone else has to go in and tag it themselves. Mm -hmm. If your database is enormous, then that can be a really long work intensive process. And, you know, you keep in mind that most companies, most organizations are continually adding to that. Mm -hmm. That means that you are not just trying to get all the information you already have. You have to do all the incoming information as well. So it can be quite uh, an extensive problem. And what you're really doing is you're front-loading all that work that Mm -hmm. you would be doing if you were to do it the old-fashioned way. So by front-loading it, you've made the actual handling of the data further down the line much easier, but it means that those early days are going to be kind of painful. A lot of of data entry stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is – it's good to talk about these things. I mean, for most of us, Using the, the search engines as they have been has been pretty effective. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think it is good that Google and Microsoft and, and the other companies who are doing search are, are not sitting around and, and saying, well, you know, we're making billions of dollars as we, as we are making search, you know, doing this and selling advertising along our, our search results. They're actually trying to find ways to make search more efficient. And more relevant to those of us. So I think, um, despite, you know, the shortcomings or potential shortcomings, depending on, on your take on the issues, um, you know, those things I think have a, a very real trade off. I don't think that what you're giving up, uh, is, is for nothing. I think, you know, having the ability to have personalized search results mm-hmm. can present an amazing positive experience. Yes. Um, so, uh, so please don't take my, uh, my mention of those criticisms as, you know, necessarily my opinion on it because I do have sort of mixed opinions about, about these things, but I do most of all, I think I appreciate that they are trying to find ways to improve. Um, and I think that's always a good thing, especially in, uh, technological circles because these are, are tools that can be made, um, you know, available to, thousands and millions more people um, and can make our lives even easier uh, tomorrow than they, they do today. It's just something that I think we should always take with a grain of salt on what are we giving up by uh, accepting this. Ultimately, we might reach a point where navigating the web is like uh, having a personal assistant that is constantly filtering everything for you and pulling stuff for you so that um, that you have a, a really uh, customized um, experience mm-hmm. so that when I get on the web and when Chris gets on the web, it will be completely different even if we're looking for the same information because uh, it's been tailored to our particular style. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll probably see this roll out to not just 
you know, things like web searches, but into other products as well. I mean, they're already talking about making sure that this sort of, sort of search information is also available on mobile platforms. Mm-hmm. But then you look at things also like, uh, Google's Project Glass, the glasses. Yeah. Uh, I could totally see that being part of it too, that the glasses, you know, re- linked back to your Google account, uh, start to take into account how you're using the glasses. And it can help start to customize your experience based upon the way you use a device like that in the real world all the time. And if it's like, wow, you know, he, he's really interested in food a lot. So if there's a term he searches for that could possibly be food, remember that because it may be that he's looking for the food and not the place name or character name or whatever. The answer is food. Food. <laughs> the answer for me will almost always be food. All and right. I think uh, I think that pretty much wraps up our discussion. Do you have anything else to add before I wrap it up? No, not really. All right. Um, it was it was kind of fun getting into this because on the surface it seems like a small thing, but yeah. when you get into it, there it's it's fascinating. Layers within layers. It's like a great big old internet onion. I was going to say it's like an ogre. Also that. I am going to wrap this up now. I'm going to go and grab some shawarma. Which is uh, food? All, it's all all the rage right now, thanks to uh, thanks to some uh, some super powered people. Um, but I was a fan of it before. Hey, you know what? I like shawarma before it was cool. I'm a shawarma hipster. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna go get some food, and I'm gonna wrap this up, guys. If you have any suggestions for future topics that we should talk about in episodes of this podcast, tech stuff. Let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.